Welcome, welcome. This is the Simply King Podcast, and it's your boy Rodney Perry King himself. And you just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans, Simply Being Humans. And it's been a while, and I'm so glad to be back uh, in front of a mic uh, speaking to all of you. Uh, it's a special one, and one I could not, could not let fly by my radar without putting giving words to it. Um, and I, as you see within the credits of this, in the description of this particular episode, I have two return guests, some some great, some great chocolate, melanated ass people. You feel me? I got I got a lot of love for these people and their minds. Understand? Welcome back, Alexa Hurd and Marquise Devon. How you feeling, bro? How you feeling, girl? I'm feeling, bro. And how you feeling, Alexa? Yeah. I'm feeling great. You're feeling great? Feeling good? Feeling great? That's good. That's good. That's good. For for all of you who may not be uh, aware, may be new to the podcast, um, you can check out both of their episodes, just, you know, going back, going back into, you know, the archives to check out some of the things they've done. Alexa, not only is so well, well, a learned, a learned, graceful woman, also she moonlights as a cinephile, you know what I'm saying? So go tap in with her. Go and follow all the things under the description. And Marquise is not only an educator, but a hell of a content creator as well. And I appreciate you so much for all the work that you do too. Um, but we are here to talk about a very difficult thing. As you see within the description of this episode, we are truly attempting to analyze and speak to the current events that is truly of all, all intents and purposes, violence within the black community, this intra-violence that keeps occurring amongst black men, um, to black women, especially, um, and black people all around. So first, before we get uh, too deep, before we get too deep, um, I want to speak to how we even got to this point. <laughs> I want to speak to how the entertainment industry even got to this quote unquote predatory nature in the first place. Mm. I would love to, you know, pass it to Marquise and tell me, like, when did you first notice that there was something possibly wrong with, quote unquote, hip hop culture, with, quote unquote, like, when was your kind of like light bulb moment for you where you realized, like, oh, I thought this was just a song or I thought these were just people who were having fun. Now I'm now I have different eyes the way I'm seeing this. This doesn't seem like a, a quote unquote, fun thing that's happening that I'm witnessing. When Do you remember that moment? Honestly, it's my mom listening to DMX and 50 Cent. <laughs> um, because she said, like, she was a huge fan of them, but she was just like, this is why. It was something, something, bitch, bitch, bitch. And, like, for my mom, that's, like, a big trigger. So she was just like, it's always difficult, like, hearing other men call refer to women as bitches. Um, and so she was just like, though I appreciate their music, for her, she's always just like... But can you not call us that? Like, there's more than that. So I think it was Missy Elliott that she was listening to who was like, I'm a bitch, and, like, had the song out. And, like, to me, that she was just like, I like how she's doing this. And so, like, hearing how my mom's relationship to it was, and she was raising four boys, so I'm just mm. like, all right, so I know what, my, what we shouldn't call women. But to me, witnessing that, and it was, like, an age I couldn't, like, fully conceptualize. Like, I was probably, like, eight <laughs> yeah. but hearing her like just kind of talk around like one what men used to call her but also hearing in the music that was also playing it was like this weird moment of just like i was like well why do you listen to it then she was like 
I still like to, you know, get down. And so she don't, she likes to turn her brain off every once in a while. Yeah. But it was really like watching my mom's reaction to it, but also experiencing her be called a bitch at such a young age. And that's like, it grew into like a boundary I have. Just don't call women out their name. My students hear it from me all the time. People hear it. My friends hear it from me all the time. Like, just don't do that around me. Don't do a period. I'd rather you just not do it at all. So like, I think from like very young, I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I just knew something felt wrong. So mm. I think that's probably like my earliest like thought around it, but it was through my mom. Okay. Okay. I love, I love that that was the response and what a East coast response to that. You know what I'm saying? 50, <laughs> 50, cent, 50 cent and DMX is a very hardcore ass response to that question. Alexa, do you remember or recall any particular moment where you realized that this, this quote unquote culture of hip hop, if you will, was a little bit more than just quote unquote, you know, graffiti, dancing, rapping, DJing and spray and spray painting. You understand? <laughs> when was when was it that you realized that there was something a little bit more sinister a part of it too? Uh, when you grow up a girl, you always know that, you know, like the monster that is misogyny that is out there, whether you have the word for it or not. But I think like the, uh, moment for me is was maybe when I was like maybe 12 or 13 mm. and I was watching, uh, I love the nineties or some sort of like show about the nineties and hip hop on like VH1 or something. And they talked about Tupac's conviction for sexual assault and I remember thinking about how like you know I'd grown up in a family where you know we didn't my mom didn't listen to like a lot of rap music but she did listen to Tupac and like even my grandma liked Tupac Mm. and it's like the idea that somebody who had positioned himself very much as a figure of like black power and black resistance uh, was also an offender of women and had been violent towards women. And that was like the first moment of many moments where I would find out about men who stood up for black power would be violent towards black women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, yeah, like learning that about Tupac was like a real uh, like moment for me. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate that example. And I love that you both had very interesting examples. Hold on. Let me let me make sure how what's what's you guys age differences what's your uh, what's your age um marquis i'm 28 you're 28 and alexa how old are you i'm 29 29 okay okay so 28 29 30 <laughs> funny <laughs> for me for me uh growing up in small town south i think that there was a real interesting um introduction to misogyny that i had because i think when you grow up in the south uh some parts of the south very much glorify elements of misogyny as very much normal things such as um such as pimps you know such as like very like church culture and things like that i remember being very young realizing how you know there was never any women who were you know in the pulpit and i remember always thinking that that was peculiar but when it came to but my mom really didn't listen to a lot of hip-hop and rap in front of me and my sister and i had to come and learn that that was something that she did in our spare time. Uh, it, it, it's it's a song by uh, A Ball and MJG. It's a real throwback that was on the soundtrack of uh, of Players Club, and um, and I think they actually think Jazzy Faye was on the hook, and and it, it's it's pretty much the, the 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 anthem of the the whole you know the whole movie you know, girl showing love, 
girls in the club shaking that ass for a dub. You understand? <laughs> and I think that for me, that was when it was kind of clicking that something about this was wrong. It wasn't about me just hearing the words. It was the fact that my my mom used to play everything. She used to, I remember I used to used to ask her, "Who's back? Are they stabbing in this OJ song? Ma? Who's the backstabber? Who is this? Who is like that? Sounds kind of violent to me. Like what's going on? You know what I'm saying? Where is this stairway to heaven? Like I was still asking questions, but when I learned that that was a song and that was a group that she very much listened to at her leisure by herself, it let me know that there was something adult, something quote unquote mature and something more than likely something I should not understand a part of this. You know what I'm saying? And I don't really, I didn't really understand that protective nature of, of rap in various ways, because I also think about things like, uh, back that ass up where you look at that video, you see children, you know, in that video too, you see, you know, we know for a fact we could take ourselves back to that time because we're old enough to where it used to be the cute thing to do. Yeah, look, look at little Keisha popping. Look at her. You know, like that was a thing. <laughs> do so dance. you do your dance <laughs> while, while literally these grown ass men are telling people to shake that ass, you know? So it's a real interesting idea. And I think that to me, what do you think it is that, because I think it's a real good example of the, the, the real interesting internal conflict that black people have to um, the negative aspects to who we are in terms of the people. Like we, we certainly are a community that accepts people who sell drugs, people who might, you know, be sex workers. I don't say we accept them in a, in a, in a overall sense, but on, in, in some way, shape or form, there's space being made for some reason. Why do you think that that's so like that we kind of always have a space in our heart to have a little bit of quote unquote ratchetness or acceptance of this thing in our in our community. I'll go. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think there's an acceptance because we understand, I think we also have this understanding of people have to do what they need to do in order to get by. Yeah. So I think it's like a little bit of circumstance. Yeah. I think the other piece to it too is like we've also also we've also we know these people like in different capacities so there is to me i think there's still like a level of empathy that we do have Mm -hmm. um but it's also like the multifacetedness that goes on too because i think we always live in this tension of we need to be the most upstanding group of people and we need to look as good as possible and project this imagery of being the best of the best and then also knowing like there's also very real dynamic of like hey there are people who just have to make different concessions and different choices due to circumstance. And so I think we understand that, but I think the other piece to it is that we also talk around everything behind closed doors. We don't, we're never really explicit with a lot. Yes. And so because of that, we kind of lean into the, well, you know, that's either like your weird uncle, that's your cousin who kind of just gets down, but we we're never really clear with anything because we're just like, we don't want any more type of shame. Yeah. So we kind of learn to accept it and accept the person at face value, but we never look at the person in their totality. And so I do think it's one of those things of like, for us, we keep everything behind closed doors. Don't bring any more shame than we have to deal with because the world is already hard. And then we kind of just like stockpiled that. But on top of it, it is like this weird tension of just like, how should we present ourselves to the rest of the world in a sense? And so I always has trust. I always had trouble with it because I'm just like, well, no, if like this is a circumstance that they're in, like we need to 
make sure that we still see the human in them and understand their why. Now, that's how I am at 28. But like my family's from down south. So like there's really just baby. We don't do that over here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like a weird balancing act of acknowledging somebody's humanity and also recognizing like this person is different. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I think that's like my initial reaction to like why I think we kind of accept the duality and multiplicity of black folks, to be honest. Were you gonna say something, Alexa? Yeah, I think I think we do it because we're black. Like yeah. we are all we've got. We're going to stick together as a community. <laughs> uh, Catherine Russell Brown talks about like she writes about sociology and the law, mm-hmm. and she talks about a lot about this idea of black protectionism that black people mm. will stick together, and we do it in the micro level, like within our communities. We're um, we're not likely to like you know tell on each other. We're much more likely mm-hmm. to try to handle our conflicts with, amongst each other instead of calling the police. And, you know, like, that's just part of being black because we know what, like, racism and white supremacy has done to us as a race. But that also has a negative side where we find ourselves, you know, corralling around violent men who are absolutely guilty. Like, you know, she's written in The Atlantic about the the double-edged sword that is black protectionism. It could be, you know, a very powerful tool for black people in the courts and, and, you know, as a federalist, as a federalist idea in our voting power, but it can be, you know, it can protect R. Kelly. It can protect Russell Simmons. It can protect Diddy. And it's a, it's a very dangerous game for us as black people, because like I said, we're inherently uh, galvanized to, you know, we're inherently called to protect each other, but the protection of each other oftentimes does harm to, you know, the most vulnerable of us. And the Mm -hmm. most vulnerable of us is oftentimes women and queer people in our communities. And we have thrown them under the bus in many ways across our cultural, like across our cultural thumbprint in the name of making these things. And one of the most proudest things that we as like black Americans could be is hip hop. And in the name of making hip hop, we've definitely thrown a lot of women and queer people under the bus. Like, look, we both, we did see, see, see why I brought y'all together. I'm telling you, you activating the hell out of me right now because my mind is firing on a million cylinders. But I want to point out one thing that you spoke to is that to me, I think that is so incredibly interesting that in all of these, like it's 50 years of hip hop right now, this year, and in the story of this 50 years of hip hop, when we when it's been illustrated uh, so many times, you can watch any hip hop documentary talking about the beginnings of hip hop. The biggest part that they glaze over always when it comes to the story of hip hop is where they got the music. Where was the music that was played and that came, quote unquote, popular that could be played in these parties, in these, you know, in these little, you know, community style DJ led MC led parties. So much of that was disco. So much of that was music made for and by, you know, black, queer and trans people. Mm-hmm. And so many of those people within that community were femme, were, were you know, were non-binary, so many different things. But yet it, it got this like almost reinterpretation and this like real big masculine stamp on it, because you look at those pioneers, all of them represented various different parts 
of quote unquote, you know, masculinity in some way, shape or form from from, you know, the Bambadas who represented this sense of history and, and identity to, you know, the, the public enemies who represented this sense of like resistance and so on and so forth to, you know, folks who were just artists like the Rakims and so and the KRS-1s, if you will. And it created this really strong, even even the women, even the women. But like there was no sense of like I think that's why people like a little Kim were yes you could say she was revolutionary for her leaning into being this kind of sexual and fashion icon but also too she was kind of the first one that was able to really be as feminist she wanted to be she didn't have to kind of find this fine line of like dressing up in a certain type of wear way wearing baggy clothes doing these certain types of things she was able to exist as this, you know, feminine presenting person, not somebody trying to like fit into the mold of what quote unquote hip hop has been, you know? So that's so interesting. But what, what were you going to say, Marquise? You were going to respond to that? Yeah. Um, thank you for bringing that point up. But I was like, let me, I'm even going to take it back for a second too, right? Like even looking at it from a racial lens, yeah, we look at blackness and we default that to the masculine, right? Yes. So anybody, the darker you are, the more masculine you're presenting, X, Y, and Z. So I think that's one piece. The other piece is as hip hop is, we are also combating, um, we want to protect the black man. I think that's also the point of it too. Hip hop is a black male dominated space yes. historically. Yes. And because of that, we still have this protection of black men because well, you know, the black man's been through this. Oh, you know, we got to go out and do this. Oh, well, we know we got to do this. But in that same protection of black men that's historically been happening, we tend to coddle us and we don't want to hold us accountable. And because of through that coddling, we get away with so much. And mm -hmm. we see this historically. How are black men consistently protected? Mary J. Blige, she couldn't really say anything. And we witnessed it happen. Tina Turner, we've witnessed it happen. Yeah. But even if we go through into what's happening today in terms of black women taking long periods of time to protect these niggas, if I'm going to be fully honest. A long time. You know, that Tiana, Tiana Taylor did not say anything. Megan Thee Stallion still attempted to protect Tory Lanez. Even right? though he was the, he was the, even though, he was right? the assaulter. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many instances where a lot of the time, if you look historically, how many options did black women actually have to leave, whether that was economic decision, whether it's yeah. a familial decision, yeah. whether you're displaced from where you're at, yeah. but then you move it into just like this inherent protection of like, oh, we need to make sure there are black boys are taken care of because the state's already taking them. Yes. Right. And so because of all of these things that are adding into the fact that like, nah, niggas do some fuck shit. And like black women specifically are dealing with intimate partner violence at such a higher level. Mm -hmm. And because of that staying behind closed doors, we have just built this protection around everybody like you were saying earlier, Alexa. So that's what made me think around like hip hop's inherently defaulted to men. Yeah, We inherently protect straight cis, cishet men on top of that, there's like, yo, we don't want to destabilize another person. So if we do it to our own and somebody from the outside is doing this, hip hop will remain as protected as possible because we'll continue to say, no, that person made it and they're an example. So we need to hold them to the highest regard. Don't go and tear down another black man in public. Whatever you want to argue with in private, that's on you. But if you do that shit in public, then that means the rest of us are also going to do that. And so that toys with the anxiety that I think a lot of black men face of yeah. not being needed and being thrown away. And there's that tension that black femmes, black women, black queer folks fully understand about the black man. But even in that, 
so much has been stockpiling. And so I do think it's a little bit symbolic right now at 50 years of hip hop. It is. 50 years of hip hop, who is now dominating the the genre, black women, mm-hmm. right? Who is now having their, finally hip hop is having their reckoning. Yeah. Right? And even then, and it's, like, it's not like just the small heads, it's the big joints too. Biggest. Right? And so, like, to me, I'm like, this is a, oddly, I said the universe is going to work how the universe is going to work. But I said 50 years of celebration. But in that celebration, you can't ignore the fact that so many of these articles actually did not pay attention to what black women have contributed in hip hop. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people were not talking around how queer folks contributed in hip hop. And so I was like, there's a glaring elephant in the room that we should all be discussing right now. And I think because of what I've been calling 2023 is like the year of the woman you have no choice but to have to reckon where hip hop is at and its history, our relationship to hip hop, and the fact that women are able to have so much more opportunity to speak out. And even then, I'm even seeing it now, we still are struggling with it because it's happening on a genre that was presented with black men at the forefront. Yes, And we're still having this tension of, I need to say something because if I don't, this next thing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But now somebody was able to finally like release it and we're seeing it on a couple big cases, right? We saw it with Megan Thee Stallion is really where I think that we started to see, well, somewhat of a shift. Some people still show their ass. Yes. But now with Diddy <laughs> being as big as he is as a staple in hip hop, yes. everybody can talk about it from a business perspective, a predatory perspective, and a personal perspective. And I think those, it's a perfect storm for us to see a tipping point come 2024. Mm, I, I, Long-winded, but... but no, I, I appreciate <laughs> that response, and we're going to talk about more of that later. I wanted to slightly pivot and bring up and read this description um, because I thought it was interesting thinking about... Because uh, a, a part of all these various different headlines of these particular cases that have came out in the past three weeks, the thing that was really the most intriguing to me is I didn't know that, there, that New York State even had this Adult Survivors Act, you know? And I thought that that was really an interesting, you know, piece of, like, you know, legislation to, like, even submit and to know that it was coming to an end as well. Like, I learned about it, and it's actually expiring sooner than later. And I'll read to you uh, what the quote-unquote act is, was supposed to do, because now it's, it's expired now. I think it expired on the 25th or something like that. But it says, an act to amend the civil practice law and rules in relation to the statute of limitations for civil actions related to certain sexual offenses committed against a person 18 years of age or older, reviving such actions otherwise barred by the existing statute of limitations and granting trial preference to such actions and to amend the judiciary law in relation to directing the chief administrator of the courts to promulgate rules they got me in the they got me in the legalese, y'all. Promulgate rules for the timely adjudication of certain revived actions. Now, I know what probably half of those words mean, but what I've gathered, <laughs> what I've gathered, <laughs> what I've gathered is this was the purpose of this was truly to expand on the chance for people to bring up these particular cases and be for them to be able to be tried in a variety of ways is kind of what I was getting from that. But Alexa, tell me if I read, if I understand that in an incorrect way. 
Um, no, you're right. The Adult Survivors Act is what's called like a look back law. Uh-huh. It basically allows people to it, it opened a one year window from the day it was passed yeah. to, like you said, the 24th, 25th to for people to file claims uh, that previously would have been barred because the statute of limitations had already ran. Mm. Uh, statute of limitations is basically the amount of time you have to bring a case for it. Like in a civil claim, it's to file a complaint and a criminal case. It would be to bring an indictment. Mm. So you have up until then to do that. See, now that's, that's, you just really taught me something. Cause I didn't know that there was a difference in, the two like complaints and indictments. I didn't know that those was two different things. I like that though. That's that's good because when I see it in the headlines, I already know what type of case it is via the headline. I didn't even see. This is why we go to school. Um, <laughs> this is why we go to school. But to redirect and speak to, um, kind of you know coming back to what you were you know just speaking to, um, Marquise is like to me. And I spoke to this, you know, in the pre-interview with both of you. I think that there has been, certainly has been this interesting bubbling up to this point to where we are in this space where women have, you know, a a little bit more of the quote unquote, like, you know, real estate or market share of, you know, very specific cultural positions. Um, And there being a a true need for it in so many ways. The example that I gave y'all was a film for everybody who may be, uh, you know, who, maybe watching, there was a film that probably, you know, aired on TBS a little bit, reruns back in the early 2000s to, you know, to, you know, to 2010s, a movie called What Women Want featuring Mel Gibson. They actually did a remake of this film with, I believe, Taraji? Yes. With Taraji P. Henson actually (laughs) called What Men Want, which didn't hit the same, didn't probably have the same level of impact, but I understand what they was trying to do. This film... The interesting part about this film that I think was so interesting is that it came out in that, you know, in that very beginning, right prior to Y2K. And it and the main protagonist was going through this very interesting conflict at work where he assumed that he was going to get this, you know, promotion into this marketing executive level. And his company, the board members and such brought in who, who was it? Hell, it was what was it? It was a white one. Helen Hunt. They brought in Helen Hunt instead to to be the VP of marketing. And they told him that this is because the world is changing. It's not about, you know, a good shave on your face and a clean shaven face. It's about, can we get a good razor that gets your legs smooth? It's it's about Mm -hmm. women are the main, you know, the main consumers of most things. They're buying the groceries. They're buying everyone's clothes, everybody's clothes, not even just women's garments, but the men's garments too. So we really are selling to them than we're than more than we're selling to the men in general. So you don't understand women, obviously. And he's thinking like, I right, women love me. I'm this, I'm this playboy. I'm this old middle-aged man who I, you know, of course, but he's also very grotesque to the idea of anything quote unquote feminine. And the movie attempts to try to make him quote unquote get a taste of his own, you know, sexism, I guess, by the only way that he's going to really ever open up and see women for who they are as if he has to hear their minds, <laughs> has to be able to be telepathic in some way, shape or form and understand that, oh, they are they're lustful, too. They be hitting on on guys. Oh, they be looking at, at you know, at, at my junk and oh, 
So, I'm, oh, we're more alike than we think. Ah, it was silly as hell. But I think that that was a good depiction of the times and so many people realizing that things are changing. Women are getting way more influence and you can't cut them out because they were getting more jobs, they're getting more money, they're, they're able to gain more positioning. They don't really, quote unquote, need men as in prior decades to have a house, to have a car, to have a bank account, if you will. So after 20 plus years of that being the kind of cultural shift that was basically being captured, here we are where there are, you can discover a new, you know, female rapper every day. Now we even have, you know, even more queer rappers that are very, very openly queer as well. Rapping about they niggas. Rapping about whoever they is that they fucking, if it's everybody. It's, it's, and they, they having them hits too. It's good shit. And so we're living in a time well, where. She's out here talking about her black boy. I'm here for Dochi's. Like, do what you got to do, good sis. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think, and I think that. Like, Santana's a hit. Santana's a hit. Like, and it's, and it's, re- and it's people are mixing these things up. They're collaborating, they're creating space. And also, too, it's almost like you're not even, you're not even trying to do the most cutting edge, the most quote unquote, you know, modern thing if you're cutting out women. And queers at this point. Like, it's mm-hmm. almost like, so you're going to feature this person who ain't put out a song in two, three years while the hottest song out is by this person? You know, it's like, you, what's going on? What's happening? Why would you, you know, that's what's going on. So it makes sense to me why there's this increasing sense of, of identity, of strength, of showing up, which the reaction to that is avocation. You know, the reaction to that is like self-advocacy in some way, shape or form. And it's being truly manifested in the way of all these cases and all these cases, complaints and and indictments being filed. (laughs) And I want to, you know, pivot to this particular case that is, you know, this Diddy and Cassie case that was, you know, somewhat historic for a lot of people. I've seen a lot of, you know, very, you know, you know, people who passed the bar tweeting, talking about, I've been, you know, practicing for a long time and I've never seen this happen in this way. You know, tell me my question to y'all. Do you think that the way that this came out, this this case being, you know, filed and it being closed so quickly, the details of it, do you think that that's a step in the right direction for the overall kind of, you know, quote unquote reckoning, as we calling it for, you know? men in, in hip-hop? Yes, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Tell me uh, more. I think because Cassie's lawsuit in particular uh, refers to her position as an employee, mm. and I think that that's critical legally because she was an employee of these entities and these corporations. Like, in her complaint, it lists, John, you know, Doe Corporations, which is, like, anonymous corporations, one through ten, and she, her lawyers lay out the liability argument to say that these corporations are liable to her because she and Diddy were employees, and in order to continue to enjoy his uh, you know, the benefits of him being an employee there, they allowed him to do a lot of these things that violated her 
And so like, there's, a, there's something to be said that Cassie is just the first of many women who were signed to these labels, mm. who have valid complaints against people like L.A. Reid, people mm-hmm. like Diddy, people like Russell Simmons, mm-hmm. people like a lot who headed up these labels and wanted to do, you know, quid pro quo sexual favors in order for famous success. And so I do think that this could open doors for other women to uh, file lawsuits. However, I'm not extremely optimistic because something that I, you know, I said to you, Rodney, earlier, like in our phone call about this, is that I do think that as famous as Diddy is, as rich as he is, as powerful he is, he is absolutely in the waning years of his career. And the fact that he is in the waning years of his career, the fact that he is deeply alienated from his peers, none of whom whom who've come out to defend him, many of whom have come out and defended the likes of R. Kelly. That speaks to how deeply alienated he is from his fellow famous uh, peers. And so I think these two things are like serious contributing factors as to why this like moment of reckoning is able to happen to him because many people galvanized around Russell Simmons and they facilitated him fleeing to Bali while he ran out the statute of limitations on crimes. They helped him hide money. And then when he came back to America, they invited him all to their parties like nothing had happened. Mm. So I don't think that like there's anything that is like unique about these allegations, specifically about Diddy, that it's just making people like be so up in arms because it seems for the most part from the reaction, everybody believes this. And these are things that people already believed about about Diddy prior to these complaints. So the fact that, you know, these allegations are terrible doesn't exactly give me like a lot of hope that there will be a big moment of reckoning for other men in hip hop. Mm, Okay, 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 okay. Marquise, what do you you have to say about that? No, I agree. I think the distancing of Diddy's career and like how he exists in hip hop actually will make this a little bit easier for everybody to already kind of be like, "Uh, you know, I don't, I ain't even listening to you like that anyways. Like, you're already on the other side of your career. You're not at the height of your career, right? And so, and it doesn't, all, it also doesn't help that, like, Diddy has been rebranding for the last three years. Like, yes. even if you think around, like... I think he legally changed his name or got a license with love in the name now, I think, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think about it, there even before, I think it was probably 2020, whenever he got that... Um, award i believe at the grammys or one of them and he gave the whole speech around like i want to give back to my people i want to give back Mm -hmm. to black people it's black first Mm -hmm. this that and a third Mm -hmm. and it really was like but you were not speaking this tune because guess what a lot of your black artists are still struggling Mm -hmm. right anybody Mm -hmm. who was there so to me i'm just like there is something that's not communicating i already did a bang with him since when he did the danny decane in day 26 come on like (laughs) even further that was my childhood come on Uh, come on justice justice look Justice, okay. justice for D, for DK and Day Twenty Six. No, <laughs> I just want to be your co-star. Come on, <laughs> albums. But, <laughs> but in reality, um, I think it is a significant difference on what we are seeing because there are still people who are willing to defend. And I don't even think he was at the height of his career. I think niggas just like to defend other niggas just so they can downplay women. But what they were doing with Tory Lanez, yeah. everybody was making excuses for him. For sure. Right? Everybody's making excuses like, oh, well, party, Megan was embarrassing him, da 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 Right? But th- that's a very specific thing on how everybody collectively 
understood that Diddy was that creepy uncle. Yep. Everybody understood Diddy's Ooh. role in the hip hop industry. Yep. And there is no way it was until he was called out by somebody else and undeniably called out by somebody else yes. that everybody suddenly had a moral compass because now Diddy's no longer valuable. Diddy's is now bad for you to be associated with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people weren't talking because Diddy has capital, Diddy has power. Diddy Proximity to Diddy means that I can obtain something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And them NDAs are strong because watching the Revolt Network also just be like, well, we can't comment on this. Yes. I said, this is interesting because even the media perspective, Yes, I said those podcasts, people either had to leave or they said, I can't talk about this. Yeah, and I've right? only seen one departure. Only uh, one departure. I've seen one departure of a podcaster who was who was working on a uh, other revolt. Um, yeah, I think, I think she was, was just like, I'm not dealing with this. Yeah, I think yeah, Don right. Montgomery. Well, he um, stepped down, so I guess that was yeah. to keep people, other people, other from people. Leave, leaving, mm-hmm. so that they <laughs> yeah. didn't have like a mass exodus of employees. And, and they, I believe you know, speaking to the the original point that you made about how she filed and filed as an as an employee as well. Uh, I remember seeing something on uh, on TikTok where they spoke to that from a, a context of a corporation, that, that means that there's an insurance element that's into it too. So it's like, if they were to actually, if he was actually to go through trial, it would be putting up so much, so many other things are on trial too. Mm-hmm. It's not just Diddy as quote unquote, Sean Combs, but it's also Diddy as the executive that he is yeah. abusing his you know ultimate power and the whole company would have been affected as well. And, and other, yeah. and other you know, entities yeah. as well. So that was a really interesting way of going about that. And also some game for people too, to, to cause imagine the, like how odd, how many situations are so audacious where somebody puts you on their books, <laughs> where somebody makes you an employee who's also your abuser in some way, shape or form, just mm-hmm. for the sake of being able to control you as well. You know, if they can control where your money is coming from and the inflows and outflows, putting you on payroll, doing whatever they have to do to make sure they have even more full control over you. People do that all the time, unfortunately. This is exactly why companies will have non-fraternization policies. Because it's like, this is is not a unique situation. It just feels unique because we're not used to it happening to very famous executives. Mm. But if you're just like, you know, Bob and Pam who work at the bank and you start going together and on a work trip, he... You he assaults you and you sue because it was a work trip. Yeah, like now the company is involved because you were in you were employees and now are we liable? So of course, like the insurance, you have to have insurance for employee related litigation. Mm-hmm. So they're going to come in and hire lawyers and they're going to evaluate the case and see what the value of it is and like meaning how much in damages could we end up paying out slash mm-hmm. how much in legal fees could we incur yeah. and they're going to put a number on this case and they're going to be like is this something we really want to litigate and th- is this something we really want to have go to discovery and so you're going to have you know as soon as you file a complaint you can go to mediation and mediators can you know look at and evaluate your case too mm-hmm and act as a go between you where you can like talk about numbers, talk about whatever it is you want to settle and 
get you there. But yeah, like, and that's going to be controlled by those lawyers. They're going to step in alongside, you know, like whoever Diddy's legal team is. But like, yeah, it's just she did work for them and it would be no different for any other employee in a situation like this. Um. I, I, pre- I appreciate that, that that clarity that you just gave. And I want to, you know, also highlight something else that you spoke to speaking to that decline, because I think about, you know, I believe it was Thanksgiving when the flurry of other cases went public mm-hmm. with a laundry list of uh, of other specifically black men, but also to Jimmy Iovine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I think it is intriguing to point out that all of them are not the quote unquote, you know, shining peaks that they maybe used to be. They're not at the climax of what their careers were. They are on the decline, genuinely, um, being that, you know, Diddy is still yet again 30 years into hip-hop, but up until, what, two, three, maybe early this year or last year, was still seen as a person who, was who who you know, were was hoarding people's masters and holding them over people's heads and really only forever serving himself as an executive because no one has ever really made an album past two albums. No one's ever had past a good, no one has had past like a a good three year run, if you will. And there's always issues on the back end. There's always issues Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. When this thing, you know, when when this particular case, you know, came out, the flurry of of videos, you know, and, and audio and radio interviews and, and, and Vlad interviews from people having various different negative things to say about this man, not only as his, you know, his very strange and inappropriate proclivities, but also his business practices as well. So it's, it makes sense as to how it might. Look, there's, a, there's a reason Mary J. Blige says she never wanted to work, be signed to Diddy. It's a reason. <laughs> she did not go with him. It's a reason. Um, and she probably seen, and that was that was the earliest of time when he was still Uptown Records. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think about him. I think about Jamie Foxx being, you know, one of one of the, one of the on that list of alleged and him being, <laughs> Jamie Foxx had a hell of a year. <laughs> and not, and not, a, not, a, and not in a good way. You know, and not in a good way at all. So we're literally... In the in the in the throes of his you know decline, Lily, as we speak, then you see Marcellus Wiley being a person who changed from this pro football player to to uh, media personality, and also being kind of on the wrong side of what a quote unquote mm-hmm. his media personality is. So of course that was going to happen, and then it just keeps going and going and going. You have Russell Simmons and so on and so on and so forth. All these men are on a decline. What do you think it is about? that, you know, that particular point that makes, I guess, this armor or this these cases a little stick a little bit differently. Why do you think that there do you think that there is connection um, to filing these cases or bringing these things up now versus whenever, you know, whenever other times R. Kelly as well, because when when has, you know, from the time that, you know, 2019, when that when that documentary came out prior to. R. Kelly was was low. You know what I'm saying? He was very low. People were not still getting, quote unquote, hits from him. You know, he was very much this kind of, you know, pariah of sorts that people kind of, you know, didn't want to talk about as much. And then once he, you know, once the, the you know, the documentary came out, now I feel like I hear this nigga name every fucking, every other R&B podcast. Like, he was like, he was like we got to talk about him. Like, he is we. I'm like, hey, I don't remember y'all giving this nigga that much praise. Back in the day, y'all talking about this nigga like he's Stevie Damn Wonder. 
But Child, I digress. I know that they're all guilty. I said, hey, none of y'all were that big of Tory Lanez fans. I'm going to be honest. Come like, on. None of y'all was. I said, then that's when I know a nigga's guilty. When he everybody in the niggas start popping out. Come on. We joked about him. He was a meme. He like, was a meme. That's what I'm saying. Like, where did all I these said, fans come from? He was He had. A, he was a one-trick pony. Yes. He, was, he was like, he know how to flip samples, and that's it. Wow. But I, but I digress. Yeah, what do you what do you think yeah, is this? We got Jacquees now. <laughs> speak to Sorry. speak to this connection between a decline. Do you think that that's made it easier for some of these you know some of these survivors to even see this as an opportunity? Like, what is that? I think it's two things. Mm-hmm. I think if we're speaking specifically to the industry, the old guard is having to phase out because there's no longer a dependency on them, right? And I think Diddy doesn't, Diddy's reckoning with that right now. And a lot of old heads are also dealing with that right now because of the rise of the influencer. Mm -hmm. Because now I can acquire my own fan base. I actually don't need to go through the, all the other choices that people had to make in order to like get there. I think the other piece is also like the height of social media also allows people to also have the public and social media allows people to somewhat feel protected to an extent. Yeah. Right. And so because of that, I think it does give the perfect storm to be able to speak up one, because as the rise of the me too movement, but as the rise of intersectional feminism, really taking a front forefront in a lot of people's politics now, mm-hmm. even young people, mm-hmm. their relationship to the old guard is very different. Now there are two, three generations apart and so the mindset is very different so when i see my students talk around it they're like i don't care he probably did it and like (laughs) like i don't tell you like that's some weird stuff that they used to do back in the day and so like that's what seeing such a disconnect from that i don't know a lot of people are just like oh well I don't think we should talk about it. Mm-hmm. Kids now do not care. Don't yeah, no, care. It's creepy uncle. I don't bang with him. This, that, and the third, right? So I think like the rise of agency through social media is a thing. Yeah. The public allowing people to f- have a layer of protection and it's socially acceptable or a little bit, not won't say socially acceptable, but now it's a little bit more socially responsible to be able to speak up because we understand the future implications. I think the last piece though is also... Um, and something I was thinking around is publicity, is PR. Yeah. I don't want, I no longer want to be associated with somebody who does that. And mm. now that it's out in the open, I now have to be responsible for what I've bared witness to. Yes. Cause I think the other piece for me that I'm also thinking about, and it's my last point, is how many people were complicit. Yes. In terms of witnessing so much and how much choice did they have then? And I'm not trying to infantilize no adults either because I'm just like, uh, there are some things there. It's particularly around like um, his security guards, his old employees, mm-hmm. other rappers who have talked around his behavior mm-hmm. and noticing all of this stuff and just feeling like, yo, I got the ick from this, yeah, but never saying anything. So for me, I think around like even the ability, and I think this might come later, but the ability for us to genuinely hold each other accountable yeah. and understand like, what does that look like in the moment rather than waiting until a woman has to speak up in order to be like, yeah, you know, I just see some weird stuff after this. And so I do think social media, a generational divide and the new social contract does require us to reckon with the old guard in a very different way. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. I, I will say I 
am not certain we're under a new social contract because I think your students can say that about Diddy because they're not Diddy fans. They didn't grow up watching Making the Band. They didn't grow up listening. That's to a good music. point. I would like to see That's them a good point. the same energy with the rappers that they grew up liking and watching. Because yeah. I don't see them keeping that same energy with people like Uzi Vert or some of these other rappers Kodak. who are, you know, you can like, say Andrew Mm-hmm. So it's like that's the thing about yeah. it is that like I don't I'm not so hopeful that we've like really gotten there yeah. because mm-hmm. people get attached to the things that they like and I do think that there's like a strong argument to be made about the fact that like because Americans have become so divided from their political power we have had to seek purity and political purity through the things that we consume but I also think that like we have a responsibility to not keep buying the records or going to the concerts or like going to see movies of people we know then take that money and use it to shield themselves from abuse from like legal consequences when they abuse people exactly so it's like we're it's a very tenuous like situation for us as consumers and as people who have no uh, like as sad as it is like we talk a lot about voting but it's the the strongest political power we have is as consumers and it's like because of that terrible situation under capitalism it's the only way we can really like voice that we don't approve of something mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like I'm not saying that you know not supporting the next Diddy album is like a political statement but also <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do that <laughs> Facts. I was about to pop up with everybody's top 10 albums of the year. I'm about to be like, no, it was not even that. It wasn't even that. I didn't even like it when it came out. And now all like, y'all finna go stream it. And, <laughs> Let's and, talk about it. And you, and you, I you make it. tell Alexa, thank you for that push, though, about the social contract and like who yeah. they're specifically listening to. I do appreciate that push because that's that's a very harsh reality. It, it, <laughs> it really it really is. But it also speaks to the foundation of what the, it, the kids are just getting who they, you know, who their bad diet is. Everybody's getting a bad diet of, you know, what they're consuming. And it's just a different, you know, popular, quote unquote, uh, you know, bad GMO field thing to consume today. You know, like we might have had, you know, the, the the candy and all these processed fast foods. Now the kids got all this other shit, you know? And I think that that's really kind of what it is, even when it comes to our entertainment as well, is that the people who are being lifted up are folks who are very easily manipulated as well as people who have very specific transgressions that can also be used against them as well. Cause we see it all the time. These like, I remember when, I remember when young, uh, when a NBA young boy went to jail, I remember I was doing a hip hop podcast and I remember one of my co-hosts said, he was like, this nigga costs too much. He's making the label too much money. People want to kill him. He's not in prison. They didn't lock him up because of, any reason other than literally to protect him. If he was out in the world, hence why the man literally lives in Utah right now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, he's yeah. not, he's not this per. he's a person who they can utilize and puppeteer because they know they have particular things on him to continue to control him, but also allow him all the space and resources to continuously promote violence as well. So it's like this real interesting circle of things that the corporations try to make themselves seem like they, you know, well, you know, we just, we, we were supporting artists, we're supporting artists. Um, 
I appreciate I appreciate you saying, you know, saying that too, though, um, Alexa. But I wanted to, you know, speak to when these things come out ever, ever since, you know, social media, the Internet, if you will, has came into the forefront of what we know as a form of communication. There has always, always, always been this very interesting tribal reaction, this polarization um, every time these types of incidents come onto our screens. It's always, we need to hear the other side, hear the man out. We don't know the full story. We've seen imagery. We've seen imagery that literally justified the, the, the feeling that this nigga, Darius Jackson, is a weird nigga when he said that you're a mom, why the hell would you wear this to an Usher concert? And we literally were all witnessing this very clear proof of abuse from this man. And there's still some room from thousands of individuals, thousands of individuals who believe y'all don't know his side of the story, though. Y'all ain't never been in this situation where, you know, we don't know if they just showing very specific things. He might be defending himself is the narrative that some people are trying to pitch onto the interwebs. I really want us to speak to, you know, this, this like when these allegations come up, this real polarizing wedge that continues to happen within our community. What do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because it's at this point, I think in the earliest times of, quote unquote, the Internet, it felt very clear, like it was men versus women and so on and so forth. And just depending on what, you know, what the, the thing was. But now, now, in, 20, in the 2020s, the lines are all blurred. I see everybody and everyone finding cop and police. I see women defending these men. You know what I'm saying? I see, I see, I see everybody defending people and everybody, you know, trying to speak to and be on the right side of this and and and, and really see this for what it is, too. So speak to that. Why do you think that this particular sense of polarization happens in the way that it does, particularly with our community? Because I really would like to know what y'all think. Did you want to go first? Oh, uh, I mean, I think it happens in all communities. Like, I think the same thing happens, like, in white communities. Mm-hmm. You like, If you follow pop culture, like, in general, when these allegations happen against white men, like, lest we forget the way middle-aged white women acted over Johnny Depp last year. Like, like they good. were rabid in trying to attack Amber Heard. So it's like... I think this is just, you know, this is how misogyny works. This is how patriarchy works. Like people are going to like defend men and blame women because it's, you know, more comfortable than to say this person I had a crush on for like years is a violent abuser Mm -hmm. or the person who made my favorite record of all time, like my favorite CD album of all time is a monster. Like, it's just easier to the human mind cannot comprehend like mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. okay 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 what would you say bro I think niggas are defending their friends and this way they can signal to their boys that this behavior is okay <laughs> I, I, I love that I love I love the simplicity of that because no. go ahead 
Yeah, no, no, no. You can, you'll go. I'll pile on right after. No, no. All, all I was going to say is I love the simplicity of both of your answers because for me, it. I think I've, you know, growing up in a small town, everything feels like a big mountain and hill to me. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to have affinity for things that are always feel like they've always been beyond me. And I think also, too, I've never been the type to idolize people past their humanity. So I know that anybody and everybody is capable of extremely deep, you know, evil things. And it never, and then you can, you don't, you can't be that surprised that somebody who quote unquote has money, power, and influence can also commit, you know, heinous acts. So for me, it's kind of like, okay, y'all, <laughs> is it is it that far fetched to think that a, a motherfucker who makes songs about you know nothing but sex literally has us all playing this real weird game of calling him daddy. All these various things happening live in in our face. Is it that far-fetched to believe that these people are also Alexa, please. Nuts? This thing is sick. Like, it's big, it's big, like, I can't, how can, not him, him? It couldn't be. What what Huey say? We get it. The nigga can sing. But he needs to go to jail. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's like a societal desire to want to associate wealth with purity because it's like we all aspire to wealth. We want to be wealthy. He said that Mm -hmm. like wealth is bad and people acquire wealth and power in order to exploit people around them. Mm -hmm. What would that say about our economic system that is built on the private acquisition of wealth and power? So it's like, it just, it doesn't work for our, it, it, it calls into question our like fundamental beliefs as a society. Yes. If we start to like question the ethics around a person having that amount of money and power. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and go ahead, bro. Because it breaks, it breaks the aspiration. It yes. breaks the dream. Right. And a lot of us do, we do see like, well, how did this person obtain this much wealth? I must follow the same path mm-hmm. or I must do something that's similar. So what behavior gets rewarded? And you know what? Honestly, I'm having like a real time moment right now because I'm also thinking around like as an educator, we tend to reward bad behavior in order to, to get the student to comply. Mm. Right? And so a lot of my kids see, hey, I noticed that this kid, every single time mm-hmm. he wants to get out of the classroom, he starts to lash out. Now mm-hmm. we're going to assign him a one-to-one. Oh, in order for him to like calm back down, let's take him to the gym. A lot of people see this as reward. So we teach how to reward bad behavior, and then other students will model that because they're seeing this as a privilege. Yes. They're seeing this as oh, this isn't a space for help. And so now it's now making me think about to the larger context of like, we continue to see bad behavior be rewarded. And so what is the easiest way to get that? Copy and paste. Let me continue to add on to this bad behavior. And because right now we're not, and you look at it through the algorithm, you look at it through any of it, we're not actually seeing much more of the positive identifying males or male figures or men like, really be pushed to the forefront. Of course. And I think me and you've talked about it before. For sure. Our content is not going to reach the masses in a way that Kevin Samuels did. Mm -hmm. We're not pushing drama. We're not pushing mess. We're 
speaking on a space of accountability and affirmation, right? That's not fun to talk about. It ain't sexy. Yeah, the media runs the same gamut. Let me tell you, being in Philly, let me tell you everything that's wrong in Philly, and then there's a quick moment to talk about the good. And then let's talk about all the bad all over again. Mm -hmm. So we do this dramatization because humans are addicted to drama. Yes. And so if we see drama, bad behavior, and an algorithm that suppresses anything that counters the narrative that is being spun, it's a recipe for everybody to start engaging in bad behavior because hey, I'll get wealthy this way. I'll get power this way. And ain't nobody going to say anything to me because I've seen everybody else get away with it. The nigga down the street, the un- weird uncle that we all just kind of deal with and the creepy nigga down. Like it, so to me, I'm just like, I think that all, as I think around just watching the development of young children mm-hmm. and then seeing what we kind of message to them through saying, well, we just need to work this system as best as possible. Yeah. And then watching it excel into adulthood. There's so many messages that continue to tell that continue to say, what does get the largest following fresh and fit Kevin Samuels, yeah. um, whoever, Andrew Tate, just yeah. a reason that a lot of these figures are becoming so, popular and were so popular the other piece is that we're in the era of the agitator we no longer as we are watching a shift happen we're trying to go back to a very conservative nature and go back to what it used to be because we don't know how to exist in the what is ultimately going to end up coming of like oh we need to have this reckoning which means we need to be responsible and accountable in a way that we don't know how to Right. Or don't want to be accountable in that way, because now I have to look at myself and reckon with myself. Like, what did I do to cause harm? What have I participated? Was I complicit? Uh Uh Be a bad person. But in reality, now that you can acknowledge something, now you can see it. Now you're responsible for it. And I think a lot of niggas just don't want to be responsible for their boys. A lot of people don't want to be responsible for themselves. Yes. And then ultimately, at the end of it, and I think like I said earlier, I think the underlying anxiety around black men for us is that we don't want to be thrown away. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think all of this together is like a tragic storm. It, it, it's it's such an interesting combination of things because speaking to, you know, and that's the best pivot to, you know, to this, you know, how we can come, you know, wrap this thing up. But to me, I do think that, you know, in my own journey of, you know, understanding masculinity, understanding what patriarchy means, understanding how I've contributed to it, opting opted into it uh, voluntarily and involuntarily, uh, what particular, you know, doctrination was put on to me to show up in a very specific way. And how do I, you know, sift through that to find my sense of self-identity and define myself and define what, quote unquote, type of man I want to be? The thing that you get to eventually is to know that you are capable and have been capable and more than likely have caused somebody some sense of um, discomfort, some sense of harm in some way, shape or form. And you have to come to terms with that. You have to contend with those actions and you can then then be able to stand in a in a in a space that I think unfortunately feels a lot more self-righteous than it has to be because and I think it only feels it's so self-righteous because you're kind of alone or you're in a in a rare in a rare case of people and unfortunately as well there's people cosplaying as these self-righteous individuals to make money 
to gain the favor of women, to gain the favor of, of various things. Therapy. You know, and, and, and it's and it's and it's wrapped up. I've, I've said it. I've said it, and I've literally tweeted about it. Something that truly grinds my gears on a consistent basis when we're talking about being within community and meeting new people and various different things is it gets I, I do it diligently and, and try to be as graceful as I can about it when I go into new spaces and places making who's in that room feel safe with me in that room but understand that shit is still tiring as fuck I don't want to even have to that. I don't want to. I don't. I would wouldn't like for there to be a precedence as to why I have to do this, as to why I'm being questioned in a particular way, as to why I'm having to like be, you know, ask particular questions or being brought into particular conversations to show that I'm not quote unquote like these niggas. You understand? Because I get it from an appearance, from a from a just a, a, a assumption context. A lot of people show up a lot of ways. You got to make sure. Who the fuck are you? Because you could be these niggas. And if you are these niggas, I don't want you to be here. Or I have to find a way to make make sure I can exist in this space with you safely. Because some people don't even have a choice to kick my ass out. You know, so they don't even have the power to kick my ass out of the room. Um, And that's the unfortunate part of it all. But I wanted to spend the rest of the time, you know, speaking to um, black people. You know, genuinely, you know, I think that Black people and especially black men who have genuinely caused harm in our community. And I think it's something that me and Marquise actually kind of spoke to in that episode we did together, um, where it's like we have to. There's this interesting sense of existing because these things happen. It shakes us up. It, it, it divides us as a community in so many different ways. And then we have to live amongst these people. You know, like they're not just going to jail for these things. They're not, you know, like Diddy is very well free to do what he wants to do at this quote unquote point right now. There's only a handful of people who have been met with very specific consequences for harming somebody within the community. So there's still, still so many people and not even talking about these public figures, but private citizens as well. How do you believe, like, what do you think there is a way to even attempt to, you know, coexist? You know, because we have these tropes such as the creepy uncle and we have the the quote unquote, the acquitted. That's what I like to call them, the acquitted, if you will, where it's like they were alleged to do this, they went to court and they got acquitted. And so it's like, y'all let that shit go. When that's the only time that black people kind of believe in the law. Is when when a nigga don't go to jail. It's like, look, he beat that case. He didn't do that. Man. <laughs> he beat the case. Well, they don't even say he didn't do it. He beat the case. They couldn't prove it. Mm-hmm. Or the former incarcerated who have definitely caused harm in some way, shape, or form and still have to yet come back into community in some way, shape, or form. And we know what they were incarcerated for. And we know clearly that they did it in some way, shape, or form. Not talking about the people who are, you know, unjustly accused and have to serve time and all those different things. I think that that's a little bit easier to handle. But we know, people do know who their particular, you know, who the assailant was in murdering someone and doing this and doing that, especially when it's a a familiar sense of violence and 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 domestic sense of violence. If people who have been incarcerated for those things getting out and coming back into community. 
let's talk about that. Like, what do y'all think? What 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 actually can the hell we do to even approach that in some type of productive way? Because I think that that's something we still have trouble with. Hmm. I'll let you go. I'll let you go because you're an educator. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because it's like I'm thinking like the best we can do is, you know, try to raise our boys better. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. People are not doing a great job of that right now. They're Mm -hmm. letting them have unfettered access to the Internet. That's not great. But uh, I do think it. You know, it starts with raising more empathetic and more conscious children. Yeah. Uh, and trying to, you know, create a world that's more conducive to abolition and stuff. And like a, a concept of how do we create a world that has less, not violence in general. Like, mm, yeah. So... Yeah, like I think that's the best we can do is to try to like push forward and eradicate the systems that keep like creating these situations for violence. Yeah, uh, that and remaining extremely hopeful. There's a lot of you know invested in us being nihilistic and being cynical and the idea that things will never get better, things will be bad forever. That uh, our boys, our lost causes, like we cannot let ourselves get like sunk into that. I agree. But yeah, we have to like be very proactive. Mm, yeah, I like that approach. I like that answer. No, I I appreciate that approach a lot. Mm. Um, it's, um, because I'm a big proponent of transformative justice, restorative mm-hmm. practices within mm-hmm. like how I engage uh, my boys. And it's like for me, just as a little bit more background for y'all, but also for the listeners, I worked at an all boys high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like I see I w- it was like quite literally just like a case study of seeing how do all of these black boys interact? What are the things that they were rewarding? What are the things that they are not getting fed? Yeah. What are the things that they are looking for? And I mean like emotionally fed. Um, and a lot of the overarching theme was nobody cares about us or they, we are being targeted. Mm. And it's really difficult to exist as a black boy in a space in some regards because even if you watch some studies, like most people are searching for bad behavior. And I forget what the study was, but like they had these educators all just watch a black girl, a black boy, a white girl and a white boy. And who are they going to attract the most? They said, just look for bad behaviors. But on the back end, they're actually searching. To, they're tracking their eyes to see who they're looking at the most. And the crazy part is and that's why I had tweeted the other day. I said black girls are neglected. Black boys are targeted in terms of like how we get to see them and how we end up being seen in the world. Yeah. And so as I think around the black boy, it's particularly, it is like showing a level of investment because they're getting consistent messaging that nobody cares about them. Um, they're also watching people who are radicalizing them. So we actually do need to be mm-hmm. careful around like who they're watching with the amount of students who came up to me and said, well, why don't you like Andrew Tate? He's a podcaster, too. I don't mess with that, man. (laughs) I said, no, that's not where we go. But so many people have so many touch points with him. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I think about that from a developmental space. Like, what does it look like to be able to nurture and 
correct as well because there's some spaces where as a teacher they look at me and they're like well mr richards you like you like a feminist or whatever like i feel like you always like cape it for women i said <laughs> and i am but also feminism helps you too like so mm-hmm. i ended up doing a black masculinity course that challenged a lot but it even brought in fathers to talk around some stuff and I love so there that. are becoming a lot more active as i see my students actually have active fathers in their life and yeah. they're actors becoming even more present yeah. so that is something that is happening which is not seen to the largest degree yeah. and the other part for me is now thinking around like how do i coexist with somebody who has caused harm right what happens when they are reintegrated back into community and what does that look like reintegrating back in community means that you do not actually have to interact with the person that you caused harm to. Facts. Like, that's the one I think people need to be able to understand. I think the other piece is, like, when they are being being brought back in, there does need to be a time period where they can actually, like, enter back in and understand, like, what is safety look like. But that requires a much larger communal buy-in that people just don't have time for. Yeah. Right? And that's the part... That's the part that, for me, remains a little hesitant because that does mean like i need to hold my brother accountable i do need to hold you accountable i don't need to fuck with you like that but i do need you to understand your ass will get beat if you ever try this again right and so like and there are things and you know i'm all about restorative justice but sometimes restorative justice means you need to learn the hard way yeah yeah because other people need to feel like they're protected and remember we used to have rules no women no elderly no children Mm -hmm. right but those rules don't exist anymore. Thanks. And because of that, I think when I think around coexisting with people who have previously caused harm, it is being able to acknowledge this thing. It's being able to understand and communicate the boundaries, but it's also understanding that that behavior needs to be corrected and that does never happen again. Yes. And that's hard to do because we're integrating past behaviors. We're integrating human error, um, trauma, all of it is like a very difficult thing that everybody just doesn't have the capacity to talk about. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think it's like a matter of continuing to put better like habits, messaging, positive habits, messaging out, um, creating like a sense of actual like boundaries. Like what are we actually, what are non-negotiables within the black community? And that's going to vary from community. Cause I said, Philly is not Atlanta. (laughs) It's not. They have very different rules that apply. Yeah. Um, it's just from a cultural context you're right yeah so i just think that part's like it feels difficult and it feels daunting but to me it is based on like i do have the belief of like it happens community by community by community because we understand those needs but it does require us to know our neighbors it does require us to be invested in children again because i'm convinced people are starting to really dislike children and i'm like i don't know when that switched and so there's like a lot of mechanisms that happen, but being in education and seeing and specifically working in an all boys space, there's so much course correction that I have to do. And there's so much understanding of the resentment that black boys are carrying, particularly towards black women and their mothers that extends out to other black women in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very hard thing to reckon mm-hmm. because some kids don't even have the emotional vocabulary to articulate what are they particularly feeling in this moment? And so yeah. I'm a social emotional learning guy. I teach them their emotional vocabulary. I need more people to be able to be invested in that. I feel that. And finding organizations that allow for mentoring again, because mentoring programs are on the decline. They're cutting out after school programs. They're doing all the stuff that allowed people to have a sense of a moral compass and opportunities to not engage in 
violent behavior and be able to critically engage with each other. And mm -hmm. so long-winded, but I think it does require us to build new non-negotiables works in your community and allow that to kind of be a possibility model for other communities to adopt the same thing yes. and then have like a reinvestment in children again and hope that children can be better because right now I'm genuinely worried around like how everybody interacts with black children across the gender spectrum yeah. in my opinion so I agree yeah it's it's tough but um we do it naturally in some capacity though too like I know dealing with my father he did a, he committed a violent crime mm -hmm. not to a woman but he did it to another man and like I had to meet that man years later and I was like ah if you like that was an experience of this mm. like when my dad got out after 24 years had to apologize to this man and had to engage in forgiveness but that was probably the one of the most humbling experiences I had to witness like my father do oh my god so watch this man have enough grace to be like, <laughs> I forgive you, and now like relieve yourself of this. He's like, I don't gotta fuck with you no more, but I do forgive you because I'm still alive and I'm living and I have the opportunity to breathe again. And so it's like, it's such a like a weird moment, but it's like forgiveness also has power. Um, and yeah, so I'm in like this weird in between space of like seeing like, oh, this moment that happened with my father, but then also seeing like what's going on with young boys right now yes. and then seeing all this happen in the world. So, yeah, I, 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 I definitely, you know, love y'all answers to that. Now, I would love to also add to and speak to what I believe could be a potential um, methodology that could be, you know, created in and poured into. I think there has to be a massive calling in as a whole. Um, and I think when I when I speak to the men, like the grown men, because I think that there is definitely, I think there is always an, an easier road to be able to to catch and like grow this plant upright before, it, you know, before, it, you know, something happens, before it becomes, you know, harmful in some way, shape or form. But after the harm is done is I think the thing that's the most, you know, contentious point that we're dealing with in our community is that there are so many men who have done the things and we exist with them and so on and so forth. And I think that there should be a, a interesting sense of like these things happening in like, there should be a very specific level of kind of like group uh, therapy, if you will, that happens with these specific people who fall into these categories that I speak of. So there has to be some opting in. There has to be a, the first step is still the awareness of knowing that what you did is something that you can't live in. And I think that that's reinforced by a very strategic sense of like ostracizing these individuals. And I don't think that it's just a complete put out, but it's a pushing away more than anything. It's like you can't come to the cookout. You can't come and do this. You can't be around these children. You can't be a part of these things. I've seen so many interesting paradigm shifts that have occurred from people, people who are heinous parents and adults, father, children, those children have children and those children are like, you're never going to be around your grandkids. And those people are like, well, I can't, I just, I just, I was, I gotta, I gotta do something. Cause I'm not about to not be around my grandbabies. I, I always wanted to be a grandfather and it creates this shift. 
And I'm not saying it's in this kind of, you know, you know, holding things over people's head type of way. But there has to be a very diligent sense of showing the people who believe that they have some great stable ground to stand in and place within the community to know that their space within that is optional and rocky. Your, 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 your value in this space and place is only as valuable as you want it to be, as valuable as you see yourself. Shout out to my one of my best friends, Emily, who says all the time, hope is a discipline. And I think a lot of these young men who grow up to be grown ass men are hopeless in a lot of areas of who they are. And a lot of those men who have done these particular things have given up the idea of having hope for themselves a long time ago. Hence the, the, the leaning into the proclivities, hence the needing and sensation of their insecurities being the things that they always allow to space and to manifest to, and, and to, for those manifestations to be actions of violence. Because that's the core essential thing that they tell you men can always tap into. If we just don't know what to do, we can hit a wall. If we're upset, we can, you know, tear up some shit, scream, yell, ignore, dismiss. But I think if the reaction to those things, especially from other men, not just the people who are harmed the most, because I think that that's the thing that hardly ever gets speaking to as well or put a contextualized, is I definitely believe that the people who harm the most who are harmed the most and are the most vulnerable are those who have always been the most vulnerable and the most harmed. But I think it's always interesting the space that so many men make to harming of other men. I see it all the time. Anytime there's a particular act of violence towards women and children, people are always speaking to, oh, we, we know that this is, you know, this is so fucked up. This is fucked up. This is fucked up. How could this happen? But then we find out stories such as um, the gentleman, um, I forgot his last name, O'Shea from uh, in Brooklyn, who was yep. dancing to Renaissance at a at a gas, gas station, station and was killed by this. I think he was 17. I don't even know if he was. I don't even think he was legal. He was 17. 17 year old Muslim child that was motivated by all these various ideologies to do this particular act of violence and to feel some particular way about this act of pure freedom. And I think that that is the real interesting, essential thing that I always love to point out anytime, especially when it's a a man-on-man violence specifically, is that there's interesting how people love to think about it. It's like, oh yeah, we know men fight, men gonna kill each other, men gonna shoot each other, men gonna do that. That's what men do. Mm-hmm. But to make that into something that is just as heinous as the as everything else, no one should die. No one should be harmed. You shouldn't have slapped that dude. Y'all shouldn't have fought at all. Y'all shouldn't have even yeah. been in this situation. Why did you humiliate? Why are you trying to embarrass, bro? What's up with that? Takes, but that's the that's the key is like mentorship at the end of the day. Because mm-hmm. like the amount of students who, like, kids are impressionable. Other men are impressionable. We want to impress each other, right? Yeah. Um, and so the amount of times when ever a student gets, like, really hype with me and he's just like, oh, Mr. Rich, I slept this year. I'd be saying, I said, but did I raise my voice to you? Mm-hmm. 
what do you need in this moment? Yeah. And that's really what catches them off guard. They're like, what you mean? These questions. Yeah, what you mean? (laughs) But it's funny because I watched, and it's not just high schoolers who did it. I watched fourth graders do it. Mm. I sat there and one of the fourth graders was just like, well, what do you need? Are you okay? And then he goes, you know what Mr. Rich has always asked me? What made me smile today? What made you smile? And like they, they will find the person and they will emulate that person that they think is good or they want to look after. So what the last piece that I also noticed is like, Young men, boys, grown men yeah. are always looking for somebody else to give them to m- permission to be good. Yeah. And I think that's the last thing that I really think about is like somebody watched me give up my seat for an el- elderly man. And then that next time another elderly person came on, they kind of looked at me as if I was like their moral compass. I said, bro, just get up, like <laughs> move your seat. And so I think that's the last piece I'm thinking around is like, the fact that a lot of us as men are looking per, looking for permission to be good and mm-hmm. see that goodness is rewarded and, is the last thing I think. And, and I think that I'm so glad you say that because that's exactly where I was going, because I think that if we make it into a mountain that we that's hard to climb instead of a road that we can drive down, then it's going to be what that is. It's going to be hard. It's going to be this shift. And I think that so many men have to understand that they there's a reason as to why so many men are easily, easily quick to follow another man. Easily quick to try to defend this quote unquote, you know, honor of another man in some way, shape or form. There's this interesting connection and affinity that they have. And I think it fills the void within themselves. Mm-hmm. So I feel that in the in the shift in this process, I think it could be something that could genuinely shift everything and turn everything to another side and you know the suggestions that you all have I think are can certainly be implemented and I believe truly though there being a calling in and those practitioners of you know those mental health counselors and various individuals who can be in those spaces where they can compartmentalize and be and, and be helpful you know in those spaces where you can speak to why did you do this to this person Whoever that person is, whoever that victim was of your particular type of violence, what made you do that and actually not be alone in that room to feel a little bit more supported in that thing and that be where they get that healing from, that be where that work starts because they got to do it at some point because if they're going to be around, we can't just throw them away and we can't also create an idea of there being no... No, no level of particular retribution in some some case or some degree, even if that is what it has to be. It's like, look, you're going to forever be a recluse. But for people to know that you're doing the work is way better. You're, you're doing way more than you think than you being all, all of community because you've harmed so many damn people because that's how you that's how you manage that. You know what I'm saying? If you fucking Henry Kissinger. Yes, you got to live under a rock, my nigga. If you come back into community, if you've harmed that many people. Yeah, that's how we know you're safe. You don't want to be around people. That's it. That's it. You know, but before before we close out, I would love if you are if I can, you know, get any particular words, any you know, closing words of what you believe is, you know, what you believe is hopeful. Um, to come from these particular acts of things and like ways that we can really come together, I guess. Um, I would love to know what you really hope to see in the coming future, because in the coming future, that feels like it's going to 
don't know, improve the quality of this experience of life that we have. I hope other states are encouraged to pass uh, similar adult survivor acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know other states have attempted to, and it's failed in their legislators. But I hope that this, like you know, starts an intent, you know, a legislative, uh, a legislative process that you know gets other states to pass similar legislation. Uh, in New York, twenty percent of the lawsuits that were brought underneath the Adult Survivors Act were actually brought against this. Were brought by people who had been in Rikers. So mm. a lot of these lawsuits are actually being filed against large, you know, entities like the states, uh, the Catholic Church. Shit. is a big target of these sorts of like Adult Survivors Acts. So stuff like I do hope that this will, you know, encourage other people to come forward, other people to seek some sort of legal retribution uh, and, you know, tell their stories. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to add to that, truly, truly a, 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 um, a reaction of protection happens when these stories come out, because I understand that a lot of people choose to, you know, go under Jane Doe when they file these particular things. Um, but some people aren't that fortunate to be able to keep their, you know, anonymity in some way, shape or form um, when they do these things, unfortunately, because people... Unfortunately, the damn, the damn internet is terrible and people dig up things and find out things and connect the dots. And sometimes they don't even have the right person, but still make somebody's life kind of miserable because they believe you the, you the person who did it. I can tell I've seen this picture before. I've seen this thing before. I know who you are. And it's it's, it's a terrible place. So I hope that that's also what comes with with that as well. What about you, bro? Yeah, no, Alexa, thank you for, (laughs) you're wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think for me, as I think around it is getting more men who are responsible with platforms, but also men who are responsible in community to really talk to younger boys around, like, what does this actually look like? And don't do it from a space of pointing fingers. Don't do it from a space of defensiveness. Um, really do it from a space of like, what can we learn from this, mm-hmm. right? I think that is what is missing is like the genuine connection and investment. Um, and yeah, I hope, and from a media's perspective, I do hope that more people feel responsible and compelled to really seek out genuine expertise in terms of like what this looks like and find and be able to share so many more resources in terms of what women need, Anybody who's been harmed by a very similar thing also are needing in these moments too, and just listen. So yeah. I think listening will allow people to get new information to then move in a different direction and hopefully a positive direction. I agree. I agree. And um, to answer my own question, I guess I, I hope for there be there to be a genuine cultural shift of you know of men to understand that accountability really does something for you too. You know, I, 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 I've seen it in practice. Um, I've seen it, you know, truly benefit me in the progression of conflict of small and major in my life. Um, you know, even romantically shit, you know what I'm saying? Like in your, in your life, you, you being able to say, you know what? I did that shit. I have no justification. I thought I was going to get away with it. I, th- I thought I could do that. 
and 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 stand in what that truth is and be and be prepared for the, the you know the breakdown of what that conversation or what that conflict is and and, and truly stand in the space of wanting to be a different person and, and and change and show up differently if the if given the opportunity but nevertheless to understand that holding yourself accountable isn't people allowing for you to show up any type of way that you want to is it you getting the space to say whatever you want and uncensored unfiltered like damn what's the problem it's truly people understanding that when you've wronged someone on their terms on what they believe to be harm um to make space and to know that it's okay for you to fully not be able to understand the place and space in which somebody can be harmed by you. But it is your responsibility to see it as harm for what it is, because that's what is being called in that moment. And for you to genuinely, genuinely make space for it. And I think that's something that a lot of men have a lot of issues with, a lot of problems with. It's like, well, I ain't intend to hurt your feelings. I didn't intend to cause you harm. I didn't intend all these things. And you know what? It doesn't really matter. I don't give a damn. <laughs> like a motherfucker is still harmed by what you did, regardless of what this intention is. And I think that there needs to be a shift in what that is and what that is from a communication context, a behavioral context, and just an emotional context, truly. Truly. Um, I really thank y'all for giving me y'all time, having this deep ass conversation with me. You feel me? Um, like I said, y'all are two of the smartest people that I know. Make sure that y'all follow them everywhere. Please let everybody know what y'all got going on, how people can support and keep up with you too. Alexa, how can I keep up with you? Uh, you can follow me on TikTok at Alexa Recommends. Please. I talk about the intersection of like law and history as it pertains to movies, specifically movies from the 20th century. Mm-hmm. That's good, y'all. Some good shit. You, you can get on get on your things. You know what I'm saying? Your Netflix and chill gonna get a little bit more studious fucking with her. Understand me. Um, Period. <laughs> yeah, it is. Motherfuckers going to be like, hmm, you know, I've never seen this. What, what is this? You know, they gonna, you're going to be impressed. People going to be impressed. What about you? What about you, Marquise? How can I keep up with you? Look, uh, follow me at Marquise Davon across all social media. That's M-A-R-Q-U-I-S-E-D-A-V-O-N. Um, I'm also the host of Keeping It a Bean Pod. So there you can find authentic conversations, storytelling, interviews, um, all over a cup of coffee or tea, whatever you prefer. So Ooh. we out here in these streets. <laughs> come on, come on. You can see all the details to be able to keep up with them in the description of this episode. Um, I really enjoyed this time and I hope that we've, you know, truly, you know, given this particular topic the respect that it needs to all that are listening. Looking forward to all the feedback from everyone who's listening. Make sure that you like rate and subscribe everywhere, no matter where you're listening from. Um, and make sure you follow me everywhere because you should know you can follow me everywhere at Kings underscore memoirs on all things. Uh, make sure that you, you know, tap that subscribe button and keep up with all the things that are coming. Getting to a close of the year. And I think that, you know, it's some real cool, cool shit happening next year. I'm so excited. So glad to kind of, you know, deliver some new things y'all way. Um, make sure that you also, if you need any particular, you know, digital marketing, or create a production assistance. You can check out all of those particular services, www.lifeisking.com. Appreciate y'all so much. Um, this has been the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans Simply Being Humans. They have been Alexa Heard and Marquise Devon. And I've been Rodney Perry, and this has been Simply King. Peace. Hey.